type of people who do Ironman and are prepared to train for something that's that uncomfortable are the type of people that are prepared to get uncomfortable in a career. I enjoyed running around outdoors more than I did lying on my back staring at the ceiling doing a bench press. Naively, I thought we'd put our feet up and it would just be a money-making machine. I'm still not as good a runner as I was before we launched the business. My brain always goes to a place where it tells me that all the people I care about are going to die if I don't keep going. I decided at 4am to run as far as I could, across the two channels. And looking back, it was super unsustainable, but I think when you're in it, you just go. And every time I get a running injury, it's a good thing. Raising money as a startup is a really frightening and stressful experience. We're really on a mission to make sure that Runner is the global brand that you think of when you want to train for any running goal. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Extrospective podcast. My name is Zach Villeneuve-Snell and today I'm joined by Ben Parker who is the head coach and co-founder at Runner and today we're going to chat a little bit about Ben and what events have led him to where he is today. So Ben, for, for those of you who don't know, who is Ben Parker? I'm a super passionate Ironman athlete and I've also kind of built a career around fitness at the same time. So I'm kind of now running a running coaching business, um, coaching people in 136 different countries now, while trying to pursue some kind of uh, balance within my life as well. So trying to find the balance between all of these different aspects and, and really just striving to be the best version of, uh, of all the different areas of my life that I can be. That's fantastic. That's certainly something that I've picked up on in the short time I've kind of not like not known you in person, but known you virtually almost. It's a funny story how we came across each other. My housemate last year happened to have the same bike as you and happened yeah. to be riding in Richmond Park. Awesome that I managed to to come across you in that way and then witness the journey that has been the last probably couple yeah, of years. No. It's probably in the origins of before even Run Buddy was launched when I when I came across. Yeah, no, exactly. I think it must have been right as we were probably working on the the engine behind uh, behind Run Buddy. Maybe I should give a bit of an introduction on on that as well. So, kind of the the coaching business that I lead now um, is kind of the first of its kind, fully automated running coaching business. So, we've kind of taken what I used to do as a as a business of kind of online running coaching, and my myself and my co-founders kind of spent a year building the kind of automated engine behind what could deliver that coaching at a fraction of the cost and, and for many, many more people. So yeah, we probably met while we were in our evening slaving away building this uh, this engine. We then spent kind of 10, 11 months selling this um, as a kind of an MVP. So whereby people come onto our website, at the time we were called The Run Buddy. Uh, you come on our website, tell us all about your running history, what your goals are, and we would basically put um, all of that information, how fast you are, your schedule, etc., through our engine. And then we'd email our runners with um, a personalized PDF of... Uh, all the training they should do. We managed to kind of sell that to, to 1,300 different amazing runners, um, kind of generating around 60K in revenue before then going on to raise half a million pounds, um, rebranding the business as, as runner, um, and then going on to kind of build our subscription subscription app, which has now been downloaded in 136 countries. And um, we're actually in the process of looking to, to raise some more money and, and keep taking the business to the next level, which is which is super exciting. But yeah, right at the start of that journey, we we bumped into each other and uh, it was great to kind of present and, and talk through some of that journey to your kind of fellow students at Surrey Uni as well. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it's, that was that was really insightful as well when you were breaking everything down. And I'm sure we'll get into the nitty gritty of, of some of that stuff later on. I mean, it's, it's fascinating stuff. But first of all, before we approach that, I think it's important to understand where you're coming from uh, as a person. And so could you kind of take me back to... Ben Parker at the age of let's say seven, eight, seven, eight years old. What were you like? What were your sort of childhood aspirations? Um, and how would you say you were as as a as a kid? 
Yeah, it's it's very funny. I've never kind of thought about it in that way. I guess. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm one of one of four, the second of uh, four kids. I had an older brother who's only just over a year older than me, of which we were both very competitive. Both of my parents um, went to Oxford University, super academically uh, gifted individuals and both kind of very successful in their own careers. My dad went on to kind of found a very successful fund management business, which meant that we kind of grew up with, with kind of great privilege, but at the same time, always very pushed academically to make sure that we followed in, in their footsteps. And you know, both my parents are keen on their sport and, and super competitive as well. So very much grew up in a, in a competitive landscape, being also very pushed to, to go to your tennis lessons on the weekend and make sure that you're developing outside of, um, I guess, school, but also kind of very much pushed to um, do the very best you could do at school. I think I very much found school quite easy and as a result would often kind of rebel and um, be quite naughty, be quite mischievous, always look for the, the easiest solution to something, whether that was using Google Translate to translate my Latin homework or selling sweets at school as a way to kind of break the rules, but also kind of do something slightly productive at the same time. So I was always thinking outside the box and being a bit cheeky on that side of things. But but yeah, kind of the undertone was definitely a competitive person being very much pushed to get the best best grades and get the best um, kind of education and wider education by my parents. You, you can certainly understand why if you'd work to achieve lots in your life, you'd want to encourage your, your children to do the same oh, because you can see the completely. merits of it, right? Yeah, exactly. And also, I guess, kind of like my parents being successful individuals gives them the freedom of choice when I mean, they're making decisions as to where they live or the doing the decisions of, of, of what they make for their, their family. And as a result, it gives them that freedom and that gives them an, an easier life to some extent. And as a result, they're always going to kind of wish on those same freedoms to their to their children as well so that i'm sure stems through i mean something that i found kind of fun founding my own business and 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 growing that i think the advice people always seem to give is the advice that worked well for them like when we're talking about how we raise money for a business and you you talk to talk to someone they're going to tell you the way that they did it was the best way because that's the experience they've had Um, and just in the same way you know both my parents got fantastic educations from Oxford University so in their experience they think education is the key to success I didn't work that hard as at school and I didn't do as well as um, maybe they might have wanted and I I didn't go to Oxford University I I went to Southampton University which is still a fantastic uni and I didn't work very hard when I was there but I I got a degree and I don't think that for me that was the kind of deciding factor that's kind of put me in a position to go on to do what I've I've done which as a result means that I'm probably not going to go and advise that so like the 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 people that I go and talk to because of the experience that have helped me. And so I think it's kind of very important that we always reflect on those factors that affect us and also affect other people and maybe taking the advice that other people give you with a pinch of salt because it's always going to be from their learnt experience rather than maybe um, a broader broader experience. And that's why you'll get people who come out on results day and they'll go and post on LinkedIn when they're a successful founder and say how, do you mean what exam results you get on results day won't change your life. But at the same time, there are, huge number of people who get amazing results and results days and that takes them to amazing schools amazing degrees and go on to lead amazing careers so um, there's no one path for anyone but uh, I think that was definitely something that I've learned is that my parents went down one path and they very much tried to put that path on me Um, and there definitely came a point where in my first Christmas holidays after uni I'd been at uni for three months and 
uh, Jimmy, I came through, went through school having no idea what I wanted to do with, a, with myself with a career. And I mean, I landed on geography because it's the, the broadest subject out there and one that a lot of people end up doing when they have no idea what career they want to go down. And that was the kind of degree I landed on. And I kind of went off to uni and didn't know what I wanted to do. And the first Christmas holiday, so you've been at uni for three months, I came home and told the, the family, I, I know what I want to do. I'm so excited to, to come home and, and work out what career I want to do. And I said, I wanted to go into fitness. I want to qualify as soon as I finish uni as a personal trainer and then one day run my own gym, of which like, I was so proud to have kind of worked that out. And um, the immediate reaction from, from my mum at the head of the table was, that's fine. We'll cut your allowance. You get used to being poor. And ever since then, like I, I, I mean, I've been into my fitness and exercise for, for several years at that point, And that didn't change anything. As soon as I graduated, I, I mean, went on and qualified as a personal trainer and straight away got my first job and have always thrived in that in that industry um, and I think like for me it's shown that doing something that you're you're passionate about is like the key to being successful in it do you mean like their vision for me would have been do you mean nailing my degree and going to get a financial grad scheme and, and going and doing that and I'm quite sure that long term in five years time I'll be earning more money and ultimately success more successful which is probably their vision of success as money I don't necessarily agree um, but I'm quite sure that I'll be more successful having worked hard at something that I care about mm. rather than tried hard on something that statistically leads to higher earnings. Because I think as soon as you're doing something you care about, you're gonna you're just gonna find the find the solutions within it so much easier. You'll think about it night and day and as a result you'll you'll go much, much further with it. And you'll also go much further without realizing that you're having to to work at it either. Sure. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's the context that you kind of operate in, isn't it? It's it's because it's, there's that Firstly, that generational gap between the fact that you have access to so many people's eyes through marketing on social media and the way you're able to culminate what you're doing and channel your energy into into what you're doing now. Um, but just to pick up on a, a few of the things you mentioned there that made me think, you picked up on the fact that something might work for some people and might not work for others. And actually, I think that that's really important. And that's almost one of the reasons why I started this podcast is because it gives people me and then anyone listening the opportunity to hear a broad array of people's ex lived experiences and what worked for them and it's never looking at someone's particular life and going all right what that worked for them then they did that then they did that i'm going to try and exactly emulate and copy that it's being uh holistic i suppose in your yeah. approach and taking pieces from each person and then just trying trying out each thing that works and I think that's yeah, exactly. the brilliant thing uh, about sharing ideas in this way. Yeah, and exactly. And it's never going to be the case that, you I mean, it's not like one day if I have kids and they're not going to be able to kind of emulate what I've done because they'll grow up in a completely different generation and, and experience and set of opportunities that like when my parents graduated from Oxford University, it was the done thing, go to your grad fair and get the right grad job and follow that boring straight line. And for us as a generation, we're so much more connected via social medias and, and all of these other opportunities that the job spectrum is so much broader. And, and then for me, like I've been a, a running coach who kind of coached individuals through COVID of which like that completely changed the whole health and fitness industry, changed the way in which people work, brought everyone online, running a running coaching, an online running coaching business in that period and then going on to automate that. Do you mean that was perfect timing? And then at the same time, when you kind of like, you think about it now, like the the world is so much more interconnected by smartwatches that like there's so much more data out there so again you kind of look at someone like myself who's running an automated running coaching business there's a, a real sweet spot in time right now whereby everyone's out there tracking their running everyone's out there kind of tracking their sleep data they're used to sharing that that on social media 
on their Strava, for example, and all of that is a giving a perfect sweet spot in time, as well as the kind of booming outdoor um, fitness industry of, of runners. People have left the gym and they've gone out running, they've gone out cycling. So in a way with all these things, there's giving this hard work and there's also the, the luck and the right time to do, do these things as well. And my parents could have been born today and copied the exact routine they did back then and made the decisions they'd made and it wouldn't have led to the same level of success or, or, or whatever. And it's the same... Um, you could have had five of my clones born up and down the country in different areas and that would have affected things and as a result like there's there's no kind of I think one path to success or so one routine or anything you can you can look to emulate but you can kind of look for the the common trends in in these different individuals and see how the different areas of that that you can learn from and see how you can emulate that to um, maybe do do similar things and and I'm always on a quest of of learning and with everyone I meet I'm always trying to work out what it is that's put them to where they are what they know that I don't know to make sure that I get better at the things I do and I think it's it's very important to recognize that we're not the cleverest people in the room and that the the person you're talking to probably knows a lot more than you do and obviously this is a podcast so I'm probably meant to do more of the talking but in in most situations in life you probably want to try and learn from the other person and um, use that to make yourself wiser because if all you do is keep saying the same things over and over again you're never gonna grow that knowledge and grow your experience and I guess take that to level up where you're where you're going as well yes yeah, this is actually one of um one of jordan peterson's rules that i quite like which is assume the person you're talking to knows something that you don't and if you go into every conversation with that assumption you're always going to be going with a learning mindset and being a bit more humble and a bit more mm. open to to hearing what they might have to say um, it was interesting as well because you've you've just shared on how there are those those broad sort of macro lessons you can almost aggregate everyone's experience and take what generally works for each person and so relating that to how you've been able to find success in what you've done now and the different success of your parents do you think there's any particular lessons that beyond the surface level of you should do this this and this we want you to go down this path or encourage you to at least do you think there's any lessons more fundamental that have helped you in where you've got to today like mindset wise yeah, I think um, I, I think that well, you mean you're a cyclist, and something that I've observed from my cycle club that I've joined. So I, I ride with a, a club called Onyx, and it's a Southwest London-based club, and it's basically run by a bunch of absolute nutters. They're all super um, successful individuals, basically CEOs and absolute top dog lawyers, and, and incredible individuals in a working capacity but they're also the fastest people in southwest london we ride on a wednesday at 5 a.m and we ride on a ride on a saturday at 6 30 a.m there's normally 50 60 people breaking into five or six groups and we'll ride relentlessly in groups of five or six as hard as we can for to be an hour or two hours or three hours it's kind of interesting because i kind of look at them and think what what makes all these people so good at cycling but also so good at their careers um is it the case that you become a top dog as a top banker and then you go and get really good at cycling you've got all this time and money to get the best bike and it's, it's absolutely not that and I'm, I'm very confident that the reason why these people do you mean they can take all the records on Strava they're the fastest people around they go and enter these races and they're just absolutely smashing the top of them the reasons why they do that is the same reasons why they're so successful in their business and the same reasons why they can get up at 5am week in week out despite having busy families and do you mean 101 things in a really stressful job and it's because they're the type of people that that can thrive in any one of these different areas and what makes someone good at cycling or what makes someone good at business is is all the same things it's consistent hard work at that one thing and i think that's why you kind of i don't know i always grew up and i thought that the things that would make you 
good at your maths, you had to do the less revision on English to get better at maths, let's say. And I think that was very much, I remember having an assembly at school being told, like, don't just revive, revise your favourite subjects, revise them all and you'll be much better at your exams. And I think it's, yes, there's an element of time when you're thinking about how you can revise for exams at school or, or whatever it's going to be. But I think, like, what makes someone successful in the real world is, firstly, how long you spend doing that one thing. The people who are better than you at chess have spent more time playing chess than you have. And the people you're better at cycling at, you've cycled for longer than, than they have. And, and you've cycled smarter and, and, and whatever. But it's the same thing. And it comes down to that, that same thing with reference to, to business as well. And seeing that within, within the cycling club and seeing it within other areas of my life as well has very much shown me that to succeed, it's, it's a case of just working, working harder and also continuing to work hard and, and staying uncomfortable for longer. When, when I'm doing a marathon or when I'm doing an Ironman, like, it's uncomfortable for a long time. But knowing that you you know you can stay in that level of uncomfort for longer than everyone else week in week out in training is why then you can then do it in the race and it's you mean the race isn't the the amazing thing the amazing thing is sustaining training for such a long time getting a little bit better over and over again that the race is just a doing a fun victory lap and uh, the place where you get to be the center of attention and show off all of that hard training but the the hard training through the winter and the early mornings that's what um, I think leads to leads to amazing performances leads to success and, and as a result i think i'm very much driven by emulating that level of determination across the board with my personal fitness and the way in which i kind of apply that with a work ethic as well it's it's like once you get past that barrier you get into that circle of people where everyone's on the same page with getting up early mm. and being driven and successful and when you were speaking there it reminded me <laughs> Don't don't misquote. I I might be misquoting this, but I think there's something like if you work ten percent more hours, you earn forty percent more wages. It doesn't even need to be like it's not like you can suddenly yeah. work hundred hour weeks, but if you just stay that little bit longer, work that little bit harder, yeah. do the extra rep, the extra ten minutes in the gym, however you want to apply it. Oh yeah, I mean, the gains are then exponential. Yeah, I I have no doubt that that is completely correct, and and there's this idea on like social media that like we we do we need to set up barriers with work and like. A, during five o'clock you should be switching off and that completely agree i think that's good for our mental health and, and all of these things and i get stressed i work hard and i definitely don't sleep as much as i meant to do when i'm trying to train and doing run a business and finding the balance between working hard and grinding and and also prioritizing your your own health and and, and happiness is is a hard balance to find especially when you're you're running a startup and pursuing a a, a hobby of fitness that is very time consuming but i mean adding to that stat as well i mean the average income of an Ironman athlete with fundraising, it's important that we kind of understand the financial market of people um, to doing endurance fitness side of things, which is why this is on top of my mind. But uh, the average income of, a, of an Ironman athlete is $250,000 a year, which is enormous. And again, I think it goes back exactly to that kind of like type of person that I mentioned before, that it's not the case that you earn loads of money so then you go and do Ironman because it's the only expensive sport that you can throw your money at. It's not that the case that you get into Ironman, so you have to earn loads of money to afford your expensive bicycles and travel around the world. But the type of people who do Ironman and are prepared to train for something that's that uncomfortable are the type of people that are prepared to get uncomfortable in a career and climb the ladder and earn a, earn a really good income. And I think all of these things point to the same thing, which is that if you, if you work harder than other people, you'll be able to build yourself up a better life potentially. Yeah, you've mentioned it a couple of times, but it's it's so true. And it's not really something that I'd considered in that way, the way that if someone's successful in one dimension, it's not a coincidence that they're also successful and pursue 
other aspects yeah, exactly. of their, of their uh, life. You know, when, when we grow up in school, like, there's always that annoying kid who's like the best at sport and the best at academics and probably quite attractive or, or whatever and like quite cool. Uh, and like that very much was not me. But it makes sense that the still things that are going to make you good in a maths classroom and good at your English lessons are going to make you good at reading a football pitch and communicating with the other players on the pitch. And when you get good at that stuff, people are going to pass to you, you're going to get better at the coordination of kicking the ball and you end up being in the A team. It's like a and, it's like a positive reinforcement. Yeah, though, of course, it? Of course yeah, yeah. it is. And like you don't want to think about the other end of the spectrum then. But at the same time, it makes sense. It's what occurs from a young age at school, and there's no reason why. I mean, when you you meet someone who's better in the career you're in, they're probably going to be better than you at a lot of things. And as a result, when you talk to them, you want to work out what it is that makes them better than you. And I think the common denominator is the time they spend working at those things. And I use that as motivation to make sure that I work harder and longer at the things that I want to be good at so that then I can be better than the people that I talk to one day. But I don't know. I'm sure there's a thousand and one factors and we can't emulate all of them. But I think that's definitely a good psychology to have because that's a factor that I can emulate. Even if I believe that it was just random genetics, we can't change our genetics. So either that makes us arrogant people that we think we've got great great genetics or we're helpless people who can't change our genetics and we've got crap, crap genetics. So that's a pretty stupid mindset to have. Obviously, genetics play a part, but there's no point thinking about that. But the experience that we have and that we live, we can control. So we probably should um, prioritize that as a factor within the way that we live our lives, because that's something that we can control and improve um, to make ourselves better as well. There's always going to be people with worse genetics doing better than you just because they believed. And I yeah, think exactly, that's, that's, exactly. that's absolutely the mindset you should have. Um, we talked a little bit about the the sports and the journeys you've been on, but how, how was it that you initially came across uh, cycling and later triathlon? And, and I know you've done a lot of gym as well. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. When was that? Yeah, so so I guess kind of like I mean, growing up, I always I always looked up to my dad. Like he very successful individual and great role model to myself as well. He used to work right by St Paul's Cathedral, and we lived eleven miles away, so he would cycle six a.m. to to St Paul's Cathedral do a day's work and then cycle home all sweaty and like, in, in time for a bedtime stories that we were growing up. And that was just what he did. It was normal. When I was kind of 13, 14, I was, um, I loved my sweets. I'd go to the, the local Tesco on the way to school and, and buy some sweets and I'd end up um, spending a 20 quid, a 20 quid note on a, on a Monday and selling 15 pounds worth of sweets for, for 25 pounds. So then the next morning I could go back and buy some more sweets. And, and that was who I was. And I'd get the, the school coach that I mean, all the boys from my kind of local town would get to get to school. I think it was after my first year of secondary school. So when I was kind of 14, dad suggested that rather than getting the coach to school, I should start cycling. And I thought my dad's quite cool. While he's, he's definitely not cool in any way, like I, I guess I respected him and I thought like, you know, I, I could do that. I like cycling. I like going for leisurely cycle with my dad. And I didn't love the coach. It was all the cool people would sit together and I probably wasn't one of them. So it was a, a way for me to have my own identity, I guess. So it was in the summer holidays. Dad and I kind of did a practice cycle to, to and from school and showed me the route. That kind of kick-started, I guess, a big chain reaction of fitness from there. Um, so I started cycling to school. And I mean, this is when I'm 14, um, starting to start to think about girls, want to start to be a bit healthier, look a bit better. And it, it, it taught me about endorphins. And I would feel so much more awake at school, even though I would get up a little earlier so I could cycle to school, have a shower, and then be ready for the day day school. But I was so much more awake and almost by accident started to to lose that that weight that I'd put on as a, a, you know, a slightly chubby kid growing up. And at the same time, 
I then started going to my local gym and going to the kind of the kids' gym classes that they had and kind of you could use the machined weights if you were supervised at a particular hour on a Saturday and Sunday and one hour after school a week, basically. And I'd start going to that and doing cycle to that straight after school and very much motivated by looking a certain way. I, I think I kind of, I mean, I'm probably now 15 at this point, thinking about going to the gym and wanted to look a certain way to I mean, get the respect of, of girls, given that I, I mean, wasn't in the popular social groups or anything like that. And again, like that was probably the motivating factor as to the cause. But then as soon as I started going, it felt fantastic. I would be getting stronger. I'd be learning new movements. And that was so satisfying. I remember on my 16th birthday, which was the day you were allowed to go to the gym outside of these hours supervised kind of slots, basically, and kind of free reign at the gym. And I went on my birthday after school and pretty much went doing five or six days a week every day for the next year from there and, and really started like becoming a really strong fit fit guy and like the cycling was just a, a mode of transport to get to and from school it was a nice way to stay lean and make sure that the body was looking the way I wanted it to look which was the, the really important thing at that mo- moment in time and then at the same time I quite quickly started to get a lot of respect from the I was in a boys school but from the, the boys in my year I was I was the one who had a six-pack I was the one who could tense one chest muscle at a time and, and 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 do that kind of stuff which I guess started to give me a lot of respect and I was also now let's say now I'm 17 and I'm doing starting to get invited to the the parties with the girls school next door and they're probably more interested in me than they would have been when I was my kind of chubby unattractive self at 14 so that very much was a motivating factor and helped me to get into fitness and exercise and I'd say all the way through through uni the goal was be big, be as strong as I can be, look a certain way. And I, I did a good job at doing that. I still um, would attend like circuits classes just for a bit of fun. I played sport and I um, I went on to run the lacrosse club in my final year at uni. And the goal still the same, look fantastic, be huge. I went to the gym 365 days in a row from April of my second year till April of my third year at uni, just by accident, um, because I loved it so much. Like, I mean, there'd be a day where I'd go, a few days where I'd go, go twice in a day if I'd been in the morning and then one of my friends wanted to go and wanted me to push them for a session I'd go again and I knew that fitness was the thing that meant the most to me in the world and it's what I, I really loved and so when it had been 365 days I, I thought this is ridiculous I need to find a, a new challenge find something just to push myself and I, I was known within my friendship group as to mean that nutter who could do anything and as a result I wanted to like prove to myself that I really was that person so I decided I picked ran a number out of thin air which is 2,500 and I decided to run 2,500 kilometers the year on so rather than going every day in the gym and I, I missed the first day uh, I went and did like an 18k run or something and bearing in mind that I probably ran three times this year and it's April so I wasn't a runner and I was a 97 kilo five foot 10 5 foot 11 guy so a really really heavy really built guy lean but a lot of unnecessary i mean that's, unnecessary what, that's what happens when you go to the gym every day <laughs> well exactly but so so yeah so as a result i set out on this challenge to run 2500 uh, kilometers which averages 7k a day for a year that's a um, lot of running. Raise, raise, raising money for charity and then on the on the final kind of like finish of the challenge i was also going to do an ironman for charity and so it was a, a huge roller coaster taught me a lot about running and doing a lot of those lessons influence the way I coach people today I I got shin splints I did far too far too much too quickly I overcame shin splints and it was highs and lows along that journey um, but I completed it uh, and I also finished by completing an Ironman at the end of that spectrum and I kind of went into it thinking this is going to be a, a, a wild challenge and I'll get back to the gym and doing one day I'll be the, the CrossFit champion of the world and that was kind of my my direction of fitness and it, it very much changed my relationship with exercise and uh, 
I enjoyed running around outdoors more than I did lying on my back staring at the ceiling doing a bench press. I enjoyed going cycling, seeing exciting new places and, and doing that more than I did. I mean, having my headphones in and not knowing the names of anyone else in the room with me, even though I recognise their faces from every single day when they would go at the same time as me. And part of that was also that um, my second job in, in fitness shortly after leaving university when I'm still doing this year uh, challenge, I was kind of running the fitness department for a five-star hotel out in Greece which meant that the gym there was a kind of a grubby gym underneath the hotel and the, the cycling and running were phenomenal, which probably slightly skewed my um, perception of whether I enjoyed cycling and running more or the gym more. But that really kind of like changed my relationship with the gym versus running and fitness, uh, running and cycling and, and triathlon. I completed my first Ironman and knew I could do it better. I did, did really well. I, I kind of was aiming for, for 12 hours for the first first one and did 11 hours and one minute everyone was like surely you must be furious that you did that extra minute and I was like no 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 I did 59 minutes quicker than I thought I would do so I was very happy on that side of things but knew do you mean if I trained harder I could do better um and I'd say ever since then the goal has completely steered away from training to look a certain way and it's always been about training to perform in a certain way and I think do you mean maybe that comes with being a little bit older and being do you mean less driven by looking a certain way to do you mean impress women and I, I think also like over that time objectively I'd built myself a body that, that looked good and doing that the a body that I mean classically people think that they want but I also had no more success with girls when I was 23 than when I was 20 even though my body was three years better and I think that that driving factor for me as a as a young guy so grateful that I was motivated by that to get me out the door and to get me started um, but it was completely ridiculous and it's so much more satisfying training to be better because also it's, it's an objective measure. Like my, I was, I was saying before we started the podcast, like my power when I cycle, I track that on my pedals. Um, and this year I did the half Ironman in Weymouth and I pushed my power about, about four watts higher than I did last year. I've objectively got better and that's brilliant. Whereas it got to the point where I was 97 kilos as a sub six foot guy. Next year I probably look worse than I do this year because I'll be even bigger. I mean, that looks good to some people. Like I had a girlfriend growing up um, as I kind of started out at Union, she would always say, don't get any bigger. Yeah, it, it, it became, um, I think I'm much happier having a, a relationship with exercise that is driven by performance and, and being better. And I think the same comes with all areas of, of things that I pursue now. I kind of want to make sure that I get better at um, all the areas of my life. I kind of break my life into three areas. I kind of break into my fitness. I want to make sure that every year I'm getting better at that. I want to make sure that I'm getting better at my performance within work and make sure that my business gets better every year and then also want to make sure that I become a, a better boyfriend a better friend to my friends and a better to be a member of my family by to mean learning how to be learning how to improve all these different areas um, becoming a, a better individual and I think yeah I think stemming away from the aesthetical side of exercise has been fantastic but at the same time I'm very glad that that was the thing that got me started because I'm sure that I wouldn't have um, ever started cycling to school if I wasn't excited by the idea of becoming less fat. The relationship I have with the gym maybe was unsustainable in terms of that I was motivated by that. The reasons why I'm motivated by running and cycling now completely apply to someone in the gym. That if your goal in the gym is improving your performance, I think that's fantastic. And I also still go to the gym from time to time. I make sure that I'm doing good strong movements to make sure that I'm strong enough to run and do ultra marathons etc and reduce my injury risk and I'm, you know, I'm not going to stand at the doors of a gym and turn people away but I just think it's important that yeah that, that we're motivated with the right reasons and I think there's thousands of different ways of which we can exercise and any individual should make sure they do regular exercise every week 
and we should find a way to enjoy that. And, and for those people that do, it's a huge privilege that we enjoy exercise and we're, we're short on time. Uh, and then that's the reason why we're not fitter. For some people out there, they've got all the time in the world, but they have no motivation for exercise. And we're very privileged that we have it the way that we do. And for those people, I think it's so important that they find the, the form of exercise they dislike the least and they do some of that every week. And hopefully by doing that, they, do you mean, they start to do you mean, feel the sensations that, that we know keep us going week in, week out with our cycling, with our running or, or with the gym. And obviously over those, over those years that I was in the gym, I was experiencing endorphins. I was experiencing satisfaction i was experiencing progress i could my bench press was going up from 135 to 140 kilos and like doing that was so satisfying i was chasing the next pb and like when i started to spin that to do you mean chasing a new pb and running and cycling because i think it it was so pure it was it was not a bit about aesthetics and a bit about performance it was purely about performance i think it really clicked for me and i probably just went to the gym almost every day for probably five or six years that for me it was probably a case of um, mixing it up and finding a new joy and happiness. But I, yeah, I think going to the gym is a fantastic thing to do. And I think it's a great way for anyone to get into exercise and going to do Zumba classes or whatever it's going to be is fantastic. And we should all find a form of regular exercise that we enjoy. And if we enjoy lots of exercise, lots of forms of exercise, do, do all of the ones you like. And obviously if you're training with the goal of being very good at something, then you need to do the, the tasks that add up to make you really good at that one thing of which if that's triathlon it's going to be cycling it's going to be swimming it's going to be running and it's going to be going to the gym a bit of, bit of the time as well precisely yeah one, one of the things I, I kind of picked up on there was and just thinking about the people who are going to be listening to this is if you aren't currently going to the gym and you're kind of a young guy or girl start <laughs> because something that you mentioned there is when you started when you were sort of 14 or 15 and you were sort of cycling and then I kind of progressed all the way through to in your early 20s and how strong you're able to become because of that i mean for those of you who don't understand the context of a 140 kilo bench press i mean i have a small window in i think my one room max is half of that at the moment and i'm i'm trying to trying to improve but i obviously only started at the age of 20 so it's that delay so yeah but I firstly, guess the lesson is you know get stuck as soon as you can, get stuck yeah, in as soon I as mean, you can that, that stems back to everything that we've been talking about that like the key to all of these guys i cycle with the reason why they're so good at businesses or or whatever is because they've been working at it for longer the reason why they're better than me at cycling is because they're older than me and they've been cycling at 5 a.m for longer than i've been doing so do you mean like the reason why i'm better than you at the bench press is because i've done more bench presses in my life so if being good at lifting weights from your chest is important to you then do lots of it and i mean i started at 15 16 and i got to the point where i was quite good i was probably the strongest guy in my university but like I was nothing in the grand scheme of things relative to the country and relative to the world. Today, I coincidentally met Matt, Matt Fraser, who's kind of five times CrossFit champion, and he's much, much stronger than I am, and like by 100,000 miles. But he's just spent longer training and smarter than I've done. In the same way, yes, the, the solution is to find young people and get them super, super motivated and you'll turn them into champions. But I'm not a parent, but from a parental perspective, you can't just get your kids starting golf at the age of three and get them training harder and building up their, their swing and their core muscles and everything. Because by the time they get to 16, 17, they need to absolutely love that thing that they, they live and breathe, that they dream about it in their sleep. And then when they get to adulthood, that they pursue it relentlessly with a passion for it. And if they don't, they won't pursue it and continue it. And um, again, I was, I was talking to an amazing swimmer this morning, doing a national swimmer for, for Switzerland, she was. She kind of did that up until about 21 and then just stopped and gave up and now she works in the world of finance for the reason being that she was doing, I think she said she was doing 24 hour weeks of training as a, an 18, 19 year old. 
and she's doing that because that's what she's been pushed into by her by her parents like she'll have enjoyed swimming as a, as a young person and because she enjoyed it she'll have swam more got better than her peers and that's why she'll have then been kind of scouted and been pushed relentlessly hard through her during her, through her youth to get her to the position where she's a national swimmer but the problem there is that during, she's quitting swimming at 21 because she doesn't love it and i learned from that myself and with with myself doing a sport like ironman we're going to peak between 32 33 34 and 40 i'm 26 now so i could train really bloody hard right now for two years but then i'll be 28 and if i don't absolutely love ironman at 28 and keep training from 28 to 33 34 35 I won't be very good at 35. If I train really hard for the next two years and blow out and think I'm never doing that again, I can't think of anything worse than sitting on my bike all the time, then I'm going to be crap at 35. And maybe that's an excuse to myself who's short on time and also maybe not driven and motivated enough to work hard enough for the next two years. But I think that's really important when you're thinking about getting very good at something is that you need to do it for a really long time. So you need to make sure that the way you're getting better at that thing makes you happy. So I think that's, that's, that's super crucial. Um, but then I also look at, my own motivations and what makes me me i love the idea of getting better but i don't need to be the best and i think that's something that i've worked out like obviously i'd love to be the best iron man in the entire world but if i was to do that i need to sacrifice every single other of my life and risk that every day until i get to 35 36 37 40 and i still might not succeed and instead i'd rather make sure that i get better every year until i'm 37 38 40 and see what i can do but also keep getting better at a business keep getting better at being a good person and being a good friend and boyfriend and as a result i'll have a great relationship i'll have a good job and a good income and i'll have a great passion and hobby that i might be really bloody good bloody good at by then and i think for me is like my goal is to be a happy person and i think i'll end up being a really good triathlete and Ironman because i'll have done it for so many years and i think that's that's the key and that's definitely the way i've chosen to kind of i guess from the learnings and from the people that i've talked to the people who've given up on their passions and the people who are better than me like i think that's the way um i've learned to then try and pursue that and and i think that will probably make me the best iron man i can be when i get to 37 40 for example than if i was to do things in a different way as well and hopefully that will make me happy along the way as well amazing it's the it's the platform and the sustainability from which you you go and do those things i think that's a, some fantastic uh, lessons there at what point i know you spoke to your parents like you say at the Christmas of first year about wanting yeah. to open your own gym. But at what point did you want to, what point did you kind of consider the fact that you might be able to make a living out of it? And then how did the early days of forming what was once known as Ben Parker Fitness, like how, how did that come yeah. about? I mean, yeah, so, so I, I grew up in a, in a wealthy part of London and had all of my parents' friends were other wealthy posh people. They would come over for for dinners and asked me what A-levels I was going to choose. And there was a period of time where I was thinking about choosing art and until they all were like, oh no, you can't choose art because you won't get a good, good, you won't get into a good university. And so that was kind of like the, the adult role model that I had in my life. And I also went regularly to have tennis lessons on a Sunday afternoon. And my tennis coach, amazing guy called Martin, he, he would coach all the, all the rich parents and all the rich parents' children. And he had a really good life. He, he was probably managing two or three other coaches. He was, in his 30s now got two kids and a um and a wife he, he met her um, test driving a porsche uh and didn't even want the porsche but he just wanted a nice afternoon out driving the porsche <laughs> met his wife that way super, super nice guy but i probably looked up to him thinking he's the happiest adult i know he was probably working 45 hours a week on a tennis court feeding tennis balls hanging out with great and interesting adults 
great interesting kids um also managing a few other coaches and doing making a cut of the lessons they were serving and, and probably making a uh, I actually worked for him as a tennis coach in my summer holidays when I was 16 17 18 before going off to uni and I mean, he wasn't book smart so sometimes I'd even do the math for him and tell him why he needed to hire another coach who could do and take in another 15 little six-year-olds to the tennis camps but yeah I looked up to him and he was probably earning 100k a really really healthy salary maybe nothing compared to some of the rich people of, or the, the rich millionaire parents of people who were um, within my parents network but at the same time I looked up to him he had enough money to have kids he had enough money to take his kids on a two-week holiday every year to Egypt in a five-star hotel um, and he drove a car as a as an individual. They were kind of like all of the things that I looked up to as a 15-year-old. And I thought, if he can do that, I'm just as smart as he is. There's no reason why I can't. While my parents, or particularly my dad, was a big role model to me, I think Martin at the tennis club was probably a bigger role model to me in terms of the career and life that he had built. And obviously there are other areas from my dad's career and, and other people that I, I also looked up to and wanted to emulate. But I think his lifestyle... Uh, relationship that he had with with time and, and doing something that he enjoyed was something that I really wanted to emulate. And so then when I was off at uni and I was an 18-year-old kid who has no idea what they want to do, I very much knew there was a potential that I could end up doing something that I I cared about. And I think by doing something you care about, you'll end up being good at it. He lived and breathed tennis. And as a result, he's a very good coach at it. And he was able to inspire everyday people why they should do you mean pay 60 quid and have a tennis lesson for an hour and do that week in, week out? And there's no reason why I couldn't do that in my medium of fitness, which at the time was the gym and exercise. And that quite quickly got shaped into running as I, again, shaped my own passion of fitness and exercise into running, became very good and very interested by running and cycling and triathlon, but specifically running. As a result, there's a huge market of people out there who need help, help there. Um, and that's kind of what gave me the confidence to pursue the, fitness as a career i mean i was growing up through uni watching youtube videos of all the successful guys on youtube going to the gym and building their own careers and, and lifestyles that way and i someone that, like nick nick bear maybe comes to mind yeah i guess someone for me it was kind of the christian guzman's and steve cooks and even like ben francis founding um gymshark like amazing individuals and i think it really like gave me the confidence that like at that time i wanted to do run a warehouse gym one day and that was my my goal and the next step after uni graduated qualify as a personal trainer and get my first job and I got my first job at a small PT studio in Southampton so I didn't have to move back home and I could stay living independently in, in Southampton and pursuing fitness there and funnily enough that the owner of that business was an ex-professional runner and he could tell that I could run and I was doing my silly running challenge of 2,500 kilometers and he got me taking some of his running clients and got to the point where I was able to train with him and we were as fast as one another which was really quite exciting um, and six months there, after six months there, I then got this amazing job out in Greece, running the fitness department for a five-star hotel out there. And I'd have super amazing families and, and people coming out, and I would then lead the fitness classes for them. And I'd also lead the, the morning runs for these individuals and um, doing a certain type of person who goes on holiday and wants to do loads of exercise, but that's probably me. Um, but anyway, so these people come out and you know, I'd take them running, and we'd do it in a way that the, the fast people spun around the back of the group and kept the slow people happy so we all stayed together. But as a result, I'd have these amazing people, they'd come out and chat to me and I'd help them with their running for a week or for two weeks if they stayed up for a longer holiday, but then they'd go home again. Um, and I, I had it to the point whereby they would kind of we'd have a race coming up or a half marathon or whatever, and they'd want me to keep giving them some tips when they got back home and they would be messaging me on Facebook Messenger at the time. And, and I remember my, my first client two weeks later, she tells me that she got a half marathon PB and that she's so 
so pleased and like how much did she owe me for for all the do you mean telling her what sessions and what what runs to do over that that fortnight i mean since she since she got home i was like no don't be silly i was just helping you like that makes me happy super interesting and i was so proud that i was able to help her to get a get a pb and she insisted that she paid me um so i just said 20 quid and 20 quid for the for each week and i think it'd been four weeks so she gave me 80 quid and then she was like so what am i what am i doing next week and i was like oh, shit, i'm now i'm now basically coaching you online and, and, and that was fantastic and so I, I did that for her i had a few other people that that, that did the same thing after after staying at the hotel and then i started telling people that's what i was doing and um, more and more people started coming that way and I was also coaching people at lots of different gyms and kind of um, group classes that I was doing having come back from from Greece and, and basically started to build up my own coaching network back in back in London and that's what I, I called Ben Parker Fitness and built up to the point where I had 40 online clients coaching them telling them all the sessions they should be doing from training for a faster 5k or whether they were training for their first marathon and even helped a few individuals to do kind of world record ultramarathon challenges which is I mean, super amazing and learning so much along the way and one of the guys that I, I coached for their first marathon, a guy called Dom, I coached him to his first marathon in, in Athens. He then came back to me a year after that marathon, and he was a, a friend from uni. And he basically said, had I thought about automating that journey, of which I had had a few conversations with a, with another friend, but he was busy running his startup. So Dom and I then basically started spending our, our evenings together, putting together the engine behind what is now Runner, my, my automated running coaching business. And yeah, so now we're, we're now in a position, we've been, we've been live for a year and a half, and we've been on the App Store for about six months. Um, and people can download the App Runner, they can um, start a free trial, tell us about their kind of current running history, what they're training for, uh, and then we will kind of give them all the perfect sessions that they should do to train for that goal, just like I would have done as a private coach, but as a fraction of the cost. And so we charge fifteen ninety nine a month or ninety nine pounds for the year. I used to charge by the end twenty five pound a week or hundred pound a month. So we're twelve times cheaper than what I used to do privately. When I was doing it privately, I was getting amazing feedback. People were blown away, achieving a great PBs and 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 everything. So it's just so satisfying and and so exciting to be able to do that and help so many more people all over the world and at a, at a fraction of the cost as well. And doing we're only just getting started. We've got kind of a team of of, of six people and we've uh, we've raised half a million pounds of funding back in February and we're in the process of raising some more money to, to grow the team and, and we, we're really on a mission to make sure that Runner is the, the kind of global brand that you think of when you want to train for any running goal and it's one step of the thousand steps it needs to needs to get there to achieve that but it's it's definitely super exciting and it's very funny to be talking talking about it looking on what looking back at what's taken me to get to where I am now because when I was at uni even then when I knew I wanted to get into fitness and um, that's never changed. It was I wanted to run a warehouse gym and be huge and help other people get huge. And it's very funny how that's changed so much. But at the same time, I wouldn't change it in any way. Like having the the expertise I've got in in the gym and understanding people's bodies more than just understanding how to train runners, understanding all the strength and conditioning people should do to get strong. And using that, that comes into the way that we'll program people within runner building the we've built in the automated strength and conditioning that sits alongside that running training. And having that expertise from I mean, that passion and interest I had in the gym has also been influential to take it to, to where it is now. So it's, it's funny how all these things kind of add up together and, and kind of swings and roundabouts in a way. Yeah, absolutely. And it's fantastic to hear how successful it is already. I know it's early on in the journey, but just how, how it really is gaining traction. And I, I just wanted to ask really about the transition. I know we've talked a little bit about the, the more recent things to do with Runner and and kind of a whistle-stop tour of how you got to where you are now. But how was the transition between having your own clients where 
you were quite happy. You add up all the figures up and you're on a stable income and it's kind of flexible. Obviously, you're having to run those. So there's all there's consequences and drawbacks as well in terms of having to run quite a lot of miles a week and not doing your own training. But how did you sort of scale back on that whilst beginning the startup? Because there's so much risk and there's so much time commitment where all, all of that time is not being monetized because you're on the foundations before ever anyone's even heard yeah. of the app. And the same thing for Dom as well, quitting, what was, where was he at, McKenzie? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I mean, Dom, Dom and I had very different experiences in the way that he was, uh, he's a year older than me, he had been earning money since leaving uni for a, for a year longer, and he was also earning a really good salary at a really good, a really good company. So he had plenty of savings because he ultimately was earning more than he could spend. So the situation was a little bit different. And... So, so from, from my situation, I kind of had gradually built up my earnings as a, as a PT. And when you're starting out of, with any of these places, you don't earn a lot of money. And so I kind of, by the point where we're kind of ready to launch Runner, I was in a position where, I don't mind speaking frankly, I was probably earning close to about £5,000 a month, which is kind of a huge amount of money as a 23, 24-year-old guy and I mean, didn't have huge amounts of expenses at the time. So I mean, I had a good life. I was probably working 40 hours a week, if that. Um, coaching people online and also doing in-person stuff early mornings late evenings often but had a, had a really good life and I could have continued growing that income a little bit but ultimately there's a cap basically how much time I've got in the day so so that was kind of the situation and I could have very much happily stayed in that position and probably pursued Ironman and had the perfect time balance to, to do so and and build a really happy easy life maybe I wasn't kind of thinking about how to how to change and jump off that path but when I mean, Dom came knocking. It was very much too good of an opportunity and idea not to pursue. So we started off with our Monday evenings. Kind of, we started. It was a Monday evening. I can't remember when it was, but we had a had a first call, and he kind of told me his ideas and showed me like the very initial framework of the, the kind of code he'd been putting together. And he kind of needed to hear a few answers about how this running coaching question matters and what that matters and what that matters. And that we called up a week later after we'd been thinking about it and. Um, Monday evenings became Monday and Thursday evenings. They became every night of the week. And this was the case for, for probably nine months or so, of which case um, we then came on to, to kind of launch the business. And even when we launched the business, we launched in March and we didn't officially kind of quit our jobs until I think around May time. When was, um, when was lockdown and all of this? Was this the year before? Um, so the, we launched in March of 2021. So um, I guess we were building it through kind of the ends of the lockdown times and so um i mean COVID was still uh thereabouts but i think we kind of towards the end of the the, the the proper lockdowns i mean i remember there was a period of time where dom was still working at mckinsey we were working working on the business and um, dom was actually staying at a honeymoon suite in in egypt because it was cheaper than london rent so because egypt was subsidizing hotels and no one wanted to go out there he i think he spent about a month in a honeymoon suite in egypt for some ridiculously low figure wow. um so yeah COVID was COVID was definitely still around but yeah, so we kind of got to the point whereby, I mean, we've got, we had two, two or three months whereby we're both running this business, it's live, and we're both still kind of pursuing our, our current careers, which it then came to the point where Dom handed in his notice at McKinsey and um, went full-time onto the business. And I wasn't able to do that because he had been earning a big, big salary and been able to save some money. And so we didn't know how long we were going to go ahead without earning any money ourselves, but it was an unknown length of time and it could be, could be significant. I'd also bought a house in February and we launched the business in March. So I started to pay a mortgage a month before launching a startup, which is very much not what you want to do. So um, when it came to May and Dom kind of was able to go full-time on Runner, it was very important that I could 
also put the same amount of time into the business. We owned the business 50-50 at the time. So it became very hard. I had a successful business that I'd set up, earning a healthy salary, and I had to slowly wind it down. And essentially, initially, I was coaching people at 5 a.m. and I would do uh, 5 or 6, 7 a.m. PT. And then I would get home, work on runner from 9 a.m. till lunch, squeeze in at least one, run, one lunchtime client, and then back to runner. Uh, at the time, it's called The Run Buddy. Uh, and then come six o'clock, it would be I'm offline and I'm coaching again. And I was able to keep up a, an income enough to sustain my life. My income was going down, but it was able to sustain. It meant that on the weekends, I would do all of my online running coaching, the, the, the manual online running coaching from my previous business. And it was it was really stressful um, and to me, not enough time in the day. Very much a temporary short-term experience. And I wound it down to probably by, I don't know, from March to May, I was able to be full-time with Dom, but I was still working in the evenings and in the mornings. And it probably wasn't until September time, let's say, where I was completely full-time. Not full-time, I was fully um, focused on runner without doing any kind of external PT. And then it wasn't until, I think, January the 1st where we actually took a salary. So it was a really kind of like uncomfortable existence for, for a long time. And at the same time, my girlfriend and I, we I was spending all my time focused on the business or on my private coaching. And the rest of the time, I was trying to cram some training in as well. Um, she very much kind of got put to the bottom of the pile. And as a result, like I wasn't a good a good boyfriend to her. So we, we broke up. A huge learning experience for me as well. And I think... Um, we're now we're now back together, and I think we kind of spent about six months apart. And I got my life a little bit more balanced. As running a startup, still not an easy balance process, but uh, kind of realigned things a little bit. And I think realized that I, I mean, I, as I said earlier, I kind of break my life down into kind of three pillars of fitness, of work, and of relationships. And I think when I was starting runner, work took the top spot um, by a hundred miles. And then with any spare time, it had to be fitness because that was who makes me me. And so then automatically relationships came to the bottom. And I think now I'm very aware that if I live in that way, runner won't be a sustainable journey. It will go back to that experience of a swimmer whereby they, they work so hard for two years and then they give up with it. Um, if I don't have time to exercise and prioritize what makes me me, I'll be a crap person in my business. And if I also don't make time for my relationships and my friends and being a balanced person i won't be able to keep up the intensity that i bring to work and mm. that won't succeed either and so now i really make sure that like they all get their attention i still spend more time working than i do exercising and probably more time working than i am awake with my girlfriend uh, or with my friends but i know how important they will are to me and as a result i guess it's it's taught me about that that different level of balance and raising money as a startup is a really frightening and stressful experience and if i didn't get to come home to my girlfriend and she helped remind me that there's more to life than that and that makes makes it all better and makes it easier to go and kind of work hard the next day at work as well so it's definitely been a been a roller coaster and i think it stems back to that that sustainability with with anything you pursue that like yeah that that swimmer wouldn't be able to become an amazing swimmer 10 years later if they trained too hard for the first two years and for me to make sure that this this business succeeds and achieve the achieves the goals that we set out for it i need to make sure that i um, keep balance in, in all the areas of my life and um, I think I'm better at doing it now and I'm still not perfect Amazing and I think to highlight one of the things that you're mentioning there about the, the risk of burnout if you tunnel vision too much down one of those aspects of life 
on a more micro level, I kind of want to understand the, the psychology of where you were at when you were facing all of that uncertainty in the time period where you're scaling back and then you're spending, what, between September and that January not taking salary at all. What does that look like? Were there any moments where you were have like a micro level of burnout? Because obviously you've just described what your daily routine roughly would look like. You're pretty much working non-stop from the moment you wake up to when you go to bed obviously there's breaks here and there but you're probably working 60 70 plus hour weeks were there any moments where you kind of faced a bit of a, a meltdown well i think kind of looking back it was super unsustainable but i think when you're in it you just go i think it's kind of like probably what it feels like to do a marathon in a way that you can't really remember doing a marathon you know you started it and you know you finished it and and then you look back and think oh wow i did it but when you're in it you don't really look up and think is this good i think i very much tell myself that like i mean i'll make a salary one day then i don't have to do both jobs and my life can be sustainable and i was very set on on that as a goal and that very much helped me to to get through it knowing that it was a temporary period of time if that was the indefinite journey of my life from then then on there's no way i would have carried on but i think knowing that it was a temporary and un unenjoyable compromise to, to to build something amazing and that it was something that i was able to to work through but i mean at the same time i i had a, a food delivery service whereby you know, i'd order my my meals for the week and they'd get dropped off at my door every every morning and great company really really good really good food by by fresh fitness foods and that was a way that i was able to save time eat really well and not do any cooking but also a little bit of an extreme solution to something to be doing as a give me the 23 24 year old guy who's shouldn't be living life in that way my my little sister moved in in with my house when i when i bought it she, she looking back at it she said that i worked so hard it was it was it was it was silly that like it was pretty boring for her to live in a house with me whereby i mean she'd either just like hang out in her room and do her own thing and watch telly in her room or whatever or sometimes just cook me meals serve them to me at the desk and, and get back on with her day and i remember it was it was actually when she went off back to uni actually when it must have been when covid allowed her to get back to uni she'd have to stay at mine and do uni remotely and when she went back to uni i was then like how on earth am i going to eat because she had been cooking me my meals and that was when i i then organized for this this food delivery service to, to sort me out because i did you mean there was no time in the day for me to go to the shops cook some food and i also want to eat well i care enormously about my health and nutrition is a key part of living a good life and also fueling myself for the exercise that i'm doing so it wasn't a solution it was there was no option about not eating well but it was that i had no time to provide for that good food so that was the only solution and and i guess yeah like i had to find solutions like that but i think that the other thing that i had to do was very much accept that those three areas of my life couldn't get the priority that they wanted and my fitness went backwards and i'm still not as good a runner as i was before we launched the business and that's particularly hard for a number of reasons one of which is that like i i care enormously about progress and i've not been making progress at my own running but additionally, I'm now the face of a growing running coaching business and I don't take my own advice. Like I haven't been able to follow a plan since we launched the business and I'm out there helping other people and telling them what runs to do, but I don't do them myself. And um, that's something that I'm really set on changing. And I'm signed up to the Valencia Marathon in December of this year. Uh, and I'm not going to aim for a, a PB, but I'm going to aim to train really well towards it. And I did manage to achieve my fastest Ironman this year. But I had my fastest swim and my fastest cycle within it, but I didn't have my fastest run. And so I'm really confident that I, well, I'm really 
passionate about making sure that I start to build up that running in the way that I was able to do before. And it's not easy because I still have an unsustainable relationship with my with my work. And I also make sure that I have enough time for my girlfriend and my family and um, the other things that, that mean a lot to me. And I've been able to get better at my cycling because I get up at 5 a.m. On, on a Wednesday morning before work and a few other times before work and, and early on a Saturday. But it means that it's hard to get the balance right. But um, yeah, I, I think that when you're in that, that period of unsustainable work, you probably don't quite realise until you get out of it and look back on it. I don't think I'd look back on it and, and regret anything. Like I'm hugely privileged to be where I am now running a running a business that gets to help people in hundreds of countries and thousands of individuals all over the world. Like that's so satisfying. The, the one thing I don't get that I used to get is the, the one-on-one feedback from those individuals that I'd help because I'd get to hear how that one session was and they would tell me and I mean, they'd be WhatsApp for me and I'd be then telling them the sessions to do and giving them that personal one-on-one support, which was amazing. But I don't get that now because I'm coaching thousands of people and because they are working with an automated solution, it's much cheaper and they're getting a, a great service, but I didn't get that one-on-one feedback. So instead, I'm kind of you mean, observing the, the success stories we post on Instagram of 10 photos from last weekend of all of the PVs of people that have been training with us, which is epic in its own different way. And so that's kind of, again, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change any of that. It just is interesting to look back on the bits that I enjoy and the bits that kind of make me feel proud because those are the bits that are going to make sure that I keep going with it as well. I suppose the you mentioned there like the, the, the personal relationship side of it where you have that face-to-face moment with your client. I suppose that's a lot a big part of why you potentially enjoyed it as well. And I know obviously you can see the success stories, but is that in any way, I don't know, has that changed how you think about things in any way? Is it, do you yeah, wish you could I, still speak to people in a way you did before? I mean, I, I still speak to lots of people and I, uh, <laughs> I I still get to work with, with lots of people closely. And I just do lots of different tasks on a day-to-day and some of them I enjoy more and some of them I enjoy less. And I think there's always the grass is always greener. Um, when I was a running coach, I was probably running with, I, I think I would limit myself to 12 hours of running with clients a week, which meant that I would often do 12 runs with different clients per week. So I was coaching my 40 people, but I'd also do 12 in-person runs. And... Yeah that's ridiculous um that's so unsustainable and so bad for my running running training it meant that i had an enormous volume and i was i mean i could i did my first ultra marathon just just for fun without really like thinking about it because i was so conditioned to do that but it was really hindering me actually doing productive training now i don't have any load of exercise from work which means that the training i can do in theory can be what's optimal for me which is which is really good so there's lots of benefits on either side um and do you mean like the, the satisfaction that, that that I get and the whole team gets is, is huge when we when we we get a, a review from someone in Australia who's going to go and tell us about in you know, a twenty minute shaving they've done on a marathon how personally grateful they are to myself and Steph the other coach that's incredible to think that we build a service where we've helped them for four months which is an enormous length of time and train them for their first marathon PB and do we know on the other side of the world and they feel personally connected to Steph and I due to the way that we built the service that keeps people accountable to our training when we're not writing those sessions each evening before they go out and do the run so there's a huge sense of satisfaction that comes in a different way we've had messages of people who struggle with their mental health after doing lockdowns and, and whatever and they found runner and it's a service that they can now afford to use and we can help them they've now found a love of running and a happiness and 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 that's that's enormously valuable and, and in the same way i had tons of friends who wanted to get better at running and i couldn't coach them for free because there was only so much time in the day i could do for coaching and as a result like a few of my best friends would pay me the the kind of the sum of money that all my clients would pay me to, to train them and, and that was exciting but most of my friends 
I couldn't help them in that way because it costs a lot of money and I couldn't I mean, cut the price very much. Otherwise, that's time that I'm not spending with people who would pay for it. Now I'm in a position where they can all afford to, to train with runner, have an amazing experience, and they're all absolutely smashing their goals. I think about eight, eight of my close friends who are training with runner for London Marathon this year, which is just wild. Like, I mean, that would have been 20% of the private clients that I had. I wouldn't have been able to help them. So, so there's a lot of ways in which I, I find a huge sense of satisfaction and pride. And we've got about 300 runners who've trained with us for London Marathon this year. And I'm going to be uh, halfway around the course cheering them all on and, and hopefully going to be a, an amazing day. So I'm really looking forward to that. Awesome. And just to relate it uh, in, in the way that I've thought about things uh, recently for myself, I, I'm approaching like a, a split between whether I go into like psychology therapy face-to-face and then psychology research. And it, it kind of reminds me a lot of that distinction because the therapy is like the face-to-face, but the research is like if you have something groundbreaking that you discover a new way of helping someone or a new method or whatever, you can affect way more people than you could do mm. um, with the face-to-face. So, yeah, potentially a convincing argument there for, yeah. for the, but for the I, macro. I wouldn't know, I wouldn't know what to, which to advise my, my younger <laughs> self. But, um, sure. but again, I, I, I very much, I wouldn't, it wouldn't change what I'm doing now. Sure. Um, and I also, like, do you mean if, I think I got asked the other day, like, do I have any regrets? And I think it's very silly to ever live a life with regrets and to, to wish you'd done anything ever, ever differently because, um, I mean, I'm a very optimistic person. I think where I am now in life is fantastic and I wouldn't ever change one little thing even, do you mean, I didn't do art as an A-level because my parents and my parents were just not be friends told me not to. Um, but I wouldn't change that because if I had done that, it might have led me to somewhere else and I, I wouldn't want to be somewhere else because where I am now is, is perfectly good enough. I think that's that, that's the perspective of, of gratitude, isn't it? Is, well, whatever's happened, you can say, oh, I wish I did that, this, that, or the other. Mm-hmm. But actually, if you just look at yourself today and are thankful for where you are and you can appreciate how certain things that didn't go the way you wanted them to in the moment, in the past, mm-hmm. how you can actually re- reflect in a different way and, and look back with hindsight and go, actually, I might have been disappointed, but actually, I learned something really important about about me. Yeah, that I, I think that I think that's such an important way to think, and I do the same every time I get a, a running injury. It's a good thing because there was a weakness in my in my armory. If I, I mean go and get a little injury there, it's because that muscle was weak and it was being overloaded, and it now plays up and it hurts, and I now can't run. But by knowing that, I now can get stronger, overcome that, and then I don't have that weakness in my armory. So, I mean, imagine if the, the business all blows up and is a huge failure. I don't want that to happen, but should that happen, I will learn from it massively and it will probably have been the best thing that could have ever happened. I very much hope that doesn't happen. Um, I don't think it will. I'm, t- I'm, touching a, I'm touching a wooden desk, so things are okay. But uh, but yeah, I think with all these things, like um, whatever happens, you, you can't change things. You've just got to find a, a good thing in it and, and live with it. Amazing. I think there's so many great insights that you can speak of from all of those different lessons and setbacks and successes that you've had in, in the last few years. I wanted to slightly pivot towards, because I, I appreciate many of the listeners will probably pick up on the fact that you say you did a an ultra marathon, not not easily, but it was kind of because of the amount of volume you were doing with training, you were able to step into the ultra marathon and complete it. Can you sort of talk through some of your biggest like personal uh, I guess fitness successes, like you say, the the ultra marathon, uh, the ultra marathon, and then so you've done a lot of Ironmans as well. Yeah, yeah. So, so that ultra marathon you're referring to was in the middle of COVID. I'd done two Ironmans, one one in 2018, one in 2019, and I was excited for my my one in in 2020. I would have been um, 24, so the top age group of sorry, top of my age group, 18 to 24, and I would have, um, I was I think ranked the fourth in the UK 
when I was 23. So I was hoping to kind of claim that number one spot to qualify for Kona. And, and actually, like, my goal was to have done the fastest run split at Kona in my age group. That year it was cancelled and um, COVID got in the way. So on the year, on the day I was meant to be doing my, my Ironman of that year, I decided at 4am to run as far as I could. I decided two weeks before, like, this is what I was going to do instead of doing my oh, Ironman. so it wasn't an event? No, 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 no. So, I mean, it, there were no events happening. Um, I think you were, at this point, I think you're allowed to run with, to, to be outdoors with six other people in the UK. So that was the, the rules. So I basically just decided to, to run as far as I could at 4am one day. I started my watch at 3.59 because that's what my Strava tells me. I don't know how well you know kind of South of London, but I was doing laps of Richmond Park, which is an 11k loop and a fairly hilly loop. And I think I ran 11 laps of Richmond Park that day. Um, so, so a really long way. I've never run further than a marathon, but I've coached lots of people to do amazing things. And I'd worked with a lot of people with amazing mindsets and was very, very confident that there was nothing that set them apart from me. I, I mean, I was just as mentally strong. Maybe I wasn't as physically conditioned as they were, but set out and just ran laps. I'd parked my car uh, at the gate of one of the parks, one of the one of the gate the gate of the park, and left loads of snacks in it. So whatever snack I fancied, I had it in my car waiting for me. And I had different friends come and join me throughout the day and run a loop. Uh, and coincidentally, Dom, who I mentioned, he's my business partner now. He brought his brother brother along, um, and his brother did uh, his first ever half marathon that day. And the funny thing was, it, it was his first ever half marathon. He'd never done, I think, more than like 10k. Um, and the goal was to do a half marathon. And when he got to the half marathon point, even though he was pretty tired, he knew that he was nowhere near as tired as I was. I was 100k deep at this point. So his brother didn't didn't stop because he thought it was the cop out for him to stop and see me keep going. So Dom's brother Nick did his uh, did his third lap and then his fourth lap and did his first ever marathon that day, and then he stopped. Um, but it's oh, wow. quite funny because okay. because at that at that moment in time, Dom and I hadn't even discussed the idea of what what, what runner became. Um, so to me, Dom's been a Dom's a good friend and, and someone. Uh, he was he was a part of that that crazy day. I think I ran a total of 100, 128 kilometers and uh, lost lost a few toenails. Um, so that was <laughs> yeah. that was pretty pretty wild. Um, before then, I'd done two Ironmans. I've now done I've done six full Ironmans. I qualified. I did two this year, of which in both of them I qualified for for, for Kona, the Hawaiian World Championships. Sadly, I didn't take my place because it's uh, not enough time in the time in, in in the year to go and do that alongside running a startup. So um, I'm hoping that next year I can manage my time to make sure that I can qualify again and then uh, and then and then take the place I've also um, in March of this year I actually did an epic ultramarathon in Sri Lanka run by an amazing company called Ultra X who we've actually partnered with and my girlfriend and I so the girlfriend I got back together with uh, and I we did that together um, and excitingly we followed alongside about 10 others we followed our run buddy plans for it so run buddy became runner and she went on to uh, to win the women's women's race which was which is super cool uh, and I think I my, my greatest achievement was I came third on the first day, but managed to, to complete that. So yeah, kind of a few wild and wacky uh, endurance style events under there, and um, you know, qualified for the, the, the half Ironman World Championships for this year, which I've got in five weeks, and I've also qualified for them next year, which I qualified for last weekend. So just kind of a, a barrage of basically ultra marathon bits and bobs, ultra endurance triathletes related things as well, all a long way from. But I guess I set out to be, which was a, a big strong bloke at the start. Yes, yeah, it takes something takes something else to be able to. I mean, you mentioned there hundred was one hundred twenty eight k. You ran and then yeah. and then all of the Ironman stuff is is always grueling and almost more mentally challenging than it is physical, really, on the day because it's it's relentlessly as as you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, staying in uh, suffering and discomfort. And I, I had a small window in when I when I did my 500k, and that was 
18 hours of cycling and that is there not that part of you because i'm just conscious of the fact that like people listening to this most i suppose you'd class them as like normal people <laughs> they might go they might run a 5k every now and again or they might go to the gym but what's the what's the separation between someone with that sort of mindset and then the mindset of someone who just wants to <laughs> relentlessly suffer on on those long well, like, I, what do you t- I, what do you tell yourself when you're 7 hours into something like that I think your your brain goes to all kinds of funny places, and I think when your my brain always goes to a place where when I'm racing and I'm trying to go as hard as I can, it whether I like it or not tells me that all the people I care about are going to die if I don't keep going. Do you remember when I'm halfway around an Ironman and I think, oh, I should stop now, I can't be bothered? My brain's like, no, 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 my my favorite dog from growing up or my sister or whoever is going to die. And like, I know that's not true, but at the same time, I make sure bloody sure I get to the finish line or they will in in my brain, and I kind of find it's quite a helpful thoughts um but i also have all kinds of other thoughts i'll think about work i think about what color i should paint my walls and what color do you mean do you mean what socks i'm going to wear tomorrow like you mean you think about normal things as well but 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 yeah i guess like the the difference really is that you mean i've trained for longer than these other people which is why that for me i that might be what a 5k feels to them and do you mean there are people who go out there and do their first 5k and do their first park run or do you push themselves as hard as they can to park run and that is that is their Ironman. And I think that takes just as much mental resilience as it does me going and doing what I do. I've built my body up over many years to mean that an Ironman is something that I can do. It is bloody uncomfortable and I, I don't enjoy it in every single aspect of the word enjoy, but I do enjoy it in some aspects. And it's the same with them. Like doing a 5K is really uncomfortable. I mean, their body doesn't enjoy moving in that way and it takes a lot of determination, but they get around and they will tell themselves whatever it is they need to do to make sure they don't stop when they get to the finish. And I don't think it's any different. It's just the case that I've trained for longer. So their 5K might be my my, my Ironman. And it's, it's the same, like your 500K cycling might be pretty tough for you, but for other people doing 30K is just as tough. And it doesn't make you or I any different to them. It's just the case that we've got a different engine underneath us um, that we've all still got to find something to motivate us to push ourselves to do something uncomfortable. And I think like, just like I mentioned at the, the, the start, like a, a huge driving factor for me when I got into exercise was how I looked and the, essentially the satisfaction of other people. Um, and I'm aware that that's still a factor today in terms of, do you mean something like Strava? Like I love doing a flames run or a really fast cycle and getting some kudos and when getting you some hit comments. 40, like, what was it? Like 40k an hour average on the, on the Onyx? Yeah, yeah, like, that was like a, yeah okay. like, absolutely. Like I love do you know I mean doing a really good cycle or a really good run and putting it on my Strava? Like, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think if that was the only driving factor, that would be a bit problematic. But knowing that that's part of the driving factor is something that's very useful and helps me push me out the door and train harder and make sure that I make sure I keep pushing those pedals as hard as I can when I would rather pedal at 39 kilometers an hour. But if I can get to 40 and then get an extra kudos or whatever, like that's the honest truth and that's definitely something that motivates me as well. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And we should all understand what motivates us and tap into it to get the best out of, of ourselves as well. Awesome. Your answer might change in the future. I mean, it, it probably will change. But at the present moment today, considering everything you've done in business with Runner and also your personal uh, performance journey, what are you most proud of about what you've achieved and who, you, who you've become? Uh, that's a good question to put on the spot with. Um, it's like picking a, a favourite son. Like <laughs> it's like the, I, the yeah, dichotomy. I, I wouldn't say I'm like most proud of any one achievement. I would say that the, maybe the thing that I'm I'm proudest of is 
I mean, having gone through those those ups and downs and talked about that period of unstable or overworking and having a very awful balance within my life, I'm very pleased to be where I am now, where the business is in the, the best position it's ever been in. I back together with my girlfriend and we had the best relationship we've ever had. And I also did my best Ironman time of my life this year. And that like that makes me really proud that I've been able to have a little victory in, in all three areas of my life that matter. And I hope next year that doing my relationship with my girlfriend is even better and my friends, um, that the business is astronomically more exciting and more advanced than it is now and that I can be a few minutes faster than an Ironman. And I think I'm very prepared to nudge my Ironman up by a few minutes and progress my relationship with its kind of natural course and still work bloody hard at the business. And that's going to grow much, much faster. That's the nature of doing when something's so young and in its infancy, it's going to grow and develop very quickly. And maybe my ability within fitness and Ironman is, is going to develop a little slur because I've been going at it much longer. Um, but yeah, that's that's something that makes me really, really proud. And, um, and I hope that I can continue to get better at all three of those areas in, while complementing one another. Yeah, I mean, you've almost you've almost answered my next question, but I was going to say, like, you know, out of those things, what you what you're most excited about? But I suppose it's just continuing to allow the kind of compound interests of the good habits you've kind of put into place and your work ethic and in those th- three pillars of life. You you just you maybe, yeah, no, maybe I mean, have a specific you, you, answer, maybe, but you're, you're completely right. That's exactly what I, what I would say. Yeah, it's just a compounding interest of the the amount of work that's gone into them behind the scenes and it's adding up and doing now I'm starting to be able to enjoy doing an Ironman and doing a time that other people think is impressive like that's that's super cool and, and it excites me and um, I'm excited to go to world championships I'm excited to next year qualify for Kona again and take actually take my place and then go there like that's exciting I'm excited my girlfriend moved into my house a few weeks ago we both sold our little cars and bought a big car together that like that's so exciting and we're excited to drive that big car to nice places like um excited to I mean, we're talking to some incredible people who might come and invest in the business come and join the business and you know, i'm excited to take the team from it was two in january and now it's five or six or seven and excited to have more than 10 people come to I me mean, come christmas who knows like it's it's a roller coaster and yeah i just want to keep um keep progressing each of those little areas one step at a time but at the same time enjoy where they are as well now like um yeah there's a lot to be lot to be grateful for as well and I'm always craving the next milestone. Like that's who I am and what I do. But um, I think it's important also to reflect that where things are now is good as well. Has runner been what you expected it to be when you first set off? No, absolutely not. I think, uh, I mean, the question we get asked all the time is, you've built runner, why do you have to work hard? Is a question that we get asked. (laughs) all the time like and, and, and like it's a very sensible question like if you build an automated solution why do you need to do any work um so i guess very naively i thought at the start of building this i mean if we could make it work and if we could get it to do what we thought it could do we'd put our feet up and it would just be a money-making machine uh and like doing that was a very naive thought of it and we launched it and then it needed to get better we needed to make it smarter we needed to market it out to people we needed to partner with new exciting companies and do all of this and develop new plans move it onto an app make the app smarter do this build this new feature and it's the start of a very very long journey um so i think yeah naively i thought it would be an easy simple process you build it and then life take care of itself after that but uh um i think it's got a, it's got a long way to go and i think 
um, that was just a naive, stupid thought, and probably the the lazy, the lazy kid in me who always looks for the path of least resistance for anything. And maybe if I'd known how hard it would have, actually no, not maybe. I think definitely if I'd known how hard it would be, I'd never have started. But I'm really glad that I didn't know how hard it would be because I'm glad I did start. Yeah, and I mean that, that's that's amazing. And I guess there's lessons that you can only learn once you're doing and once you're experiencing. And um, one of the things I I wanted to very briefly mention was the way that you kind of frame the fact that you potentially were naive and you thought that it would be do all the work and then you've once you produced the, the proof of concept and then launched it it's like hey it's there and it's fine but the micro adjustments and that's something that I had a little window into uh, when I was working for for generate which is an ad tech startup in the last sort of year year and a half and you guys have actually recently recently partnered with them I, I no longer work for them now but yeah, well, can you tell me a bit bit more about how, about how you came across how you came across them? Yeah, so um, I mean, Generate's an incredible business, and for those who haven't watched, they should go and search Generate's Dragon's Den pitch because uh, Sam, the founder of Generate, did a, uh, an amazing job pitching and convincing the dragons. And I believe the the story is two of them invested on the show, and then another one rang him up the next morning at breakfast and invested as well. But essentially, yeah, they they kind of a, a service whereby rather than giving the data that we spend on the internet to companies and then go and market to us, they protect that data and then sell it to them and in, in exchange give you credits to to spend with other companies basically. And so we partner with them so people can kind of sell their data points to, to generate and then with those generate points you can purchase subscriptions to run it. Um, so that's kind of a, a cool partnership we've done with um, with obviously them who, who you work with. I met Sam at a, at a networking event and, and he's, he's a runner so he um, he wanted to try us out and he thought it was a, a cool app and so we've uh, started putting that together and um and yeah hopefully we can uh, start helping more and more runners and uh do so by them purchasing subscriptions with their with their generate ones yeah and, and just to just for anyone listening now as we sort of like bring bring the podcast to a close how would someone listening now what would be their steps if they wanted to sign up for runner what would that look like yeah so, I mean, you can find us on Instagram, check us out, and uh, it's runner underscore coach at the moment. Just head to the App Store, download the app, um, and you'll be asked all about kind of your running journey, how far, uh, kind of your level of ability of running, how fast you are, um, and how many times a week you want to be training, what days of the week you want your sessions to be put on, what your goal is, whether that's a marathon, or if you just want to maintain your running ability, you want to get fit, you want to train for an ultramarathon. Um, with all of this, you can also tell us about your strength and conditioning experience, the equipment you've got in the gym, or doing whether you're going to be doing strength at home, and we'll build all of this into providing you with the perfect plan to take you towards your goals, basically. And so if you download the app, you'll get a one-week free trial, try it out, uh, and then after that, it's a $15.99 per month subscription or £99 for the year, um, which is 12 times cheaper than it used to be to train with me uh, privately. So it's, it's really exciting, but also any questions, feel free to... Uh, also just get in touch and ask me on instagram i'm ben parker fitness as well awesome well thank you very much for for being so kind with your time i know how busy it can be uh at the stage of life and setting things up as you are now and and ruthlessly training uh for, for triathlon but i think it's been it's been fantastic to talk to you it's been very insightful and i hope that everyone else has enjoyed this as yeah. much as i have oh well, thank you very much it's also insightful to me to kind of dive into my brain and work out what makes me work where I am and hopefully use that to um, keep keep pushing um, and making myself the best I can be. But no, thank you very much and really, really exciting conversation. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, my name has been Zach Villeneuve-Snell and I'll see you next time.